to the Deep End, episode 5. I am your co-host, Ahmed, and joining me is my good friend and sports prodigy, Mo. What's going on, man? Nothing much, man. We're back. Back with another hectic week, and we're doing something nice for the listeners today. We're actually going um, Premier League and Champions League recap, so there's a lot to get to. There's a lot of really exciting games and a lot of drama on and off the field. We'll get into that um, later on in the episode, but... Can't you go ahead and start us off with some Premier League action? Yeah, sure. Uh, I gotta just say though, having the Champions League back is really, really good to see. Lots of really good games this week. Lots of games that I ended up watching. A lot of them that I didn't end up watching. But man, you know, we're we're in the gist of football season now, and it's it's great to see. Um, great to see that we're somewhat back to normal too. You know. Nah, I mean, you know, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Premier League. Uh, I'm gonna start off hot. I uh, I'm gonna, I want to go into the Liverpool and Leeds game first. Uh, there's a lot to be said about this game, both uh on the pitch and off the pitch. Last week I went into a little rant about how you know maybe Jurgen Klopp's transfer strategy about like not bringing in players or just resigning the core of this team is uh going to eventually not work for him anymore, and I feel like. This week was a clear sign of this, of what come. Uh, Liverpool and Leeds faced off this week. Uh, Liverpool ended up winning comfortably 3-0. Uh, but, I mean, I just, watching the game, watching the highlights after, I, I don't think I've ever seen a worse half from a player other than, you know, Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane had a really, really bad game. I, I do not care. If he scored, I do not care what happened, but the the, the amount of mistakes, uh, the amount of, of, of selfishness, you know, the lack of, you know, chemistry with other players is, is awful. Um, I'm sure you can agree. We talked about this a few times over the past couple of days. Yeah, definitely. He's he's very, very selfish. And you know it's bad when even, like, the commentators that are supposed to be biased are calling you selfish because, like, that's how evident it is. And he's just trying too hard at this point to, like, get out of the rut. And, I mean, yeah, he eventually scored in the game, but I feel like the more he, the harder he tries, I feel like the, the worse it works out for him, I feel like he just ends up, you know, hurting himself and just making himself look bad, especially with all those easy chances he's been missing. No, I definitely agree. Uh, I do remember uh, watching a press conference before the season started, and Sadio Mane said, you know, he's understood that he's had a regression in the past maybe season, season and a half or so, because looking back 18 months ago, Sadio Mane was just as dangerous as Mo Salah, like... Opposing defenses really had a problem when choosing, like, who are we going to double up on? Who are we going to, like, you know, focus on? Because, like I said, you know, one of these two players could literally go off for, you know, any amount of goals during any given time. Uh, coming back to today, the present, it's definitely Mo Salah. Mo Salah is the most dangerous player on the Liverpool squad. And Sadio Mane, he's not even just become, like bad he's he's become awful he he's just not he's not playing well and and he's just had a ridiculous dip in form before the season started he said he wanted to set a personal goal for himself i believe he wanted to he said he wanted to score 30 goals this season first off i do not see that happening 
Second, the fact that you want to set a personal record for yourself or a personal goal for yourself is, is totally fine. But at the same time, why would you take away other contributions from your teammates because you want to set a personal goal? That is that is the epitome of arrogance, selfishness, narcissism, whatever you want to call it. And I know it sounds like I'm being too hard on him, but you watch this game and you really see that Mane really was the reason that Liverpool did not win comfortably. Like, yes, 3-0 is a big margin, but if it wasn't for Sadio Mane, I think they would have won at least 5-0, maybe even 6-0, whatever it is. Uh, to get into it, mostly, the first game, or the first goal, I'm sorry, came off of an Alexander-Arnold assist to Salah in the box. You know, Arnold running along the wing, uh, passing it to Salah right there in front of the goal. You know, goals back, goal goes past Meliere, easy, easy goal. Uh, second goal off of uh, a corner was Fabinho. You know, he shot the ball, bumped into the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper deflected it. Fabinho just literally just took it, scored again. And uh, the third goal came from Mane. Uh, I'm going to leave Mane as part until the very end, just, you know, trying to get through the game. Um, yeah, Mane just scored... At the end of the game, I believe it was in the 90th minute, the 91st minute. It was during stoppage time for sure. And, um, yeah, no. Mane, just to get into the details, if Mane wasn't on the pitch, we would have at least seen a Diego Jota goal. We would have at least seen another Mo Salah goal. We would have seen so many things. It's just, it's crazy. Sadio Mane is having a dip in form. Roberto Firmino is injured. So right now, your only two options up front are Mo Salah and Diego Jota. You could you could always go ahead and play Divac Origi, but I've always said this for years. Anyone who knows me knows that I say that Divac Origi cannot play for 90 minutes. He's great. He's a tank. But his athleticism is, is, is awful. He just doesn't have the sustainability. He doesn't have the durability to play for 90 minutes. Um, that's, that's, that's basically it. Coming off of what I said last week, things are starting to unravel. You know, Liverpool cannot contend for a Premier League title with Sadio Mane up front there. They cannot contend for a Champions League title with Sadio Mane up front. They need options. Yeah, I agree, man. I feel like the, the, that Liverpool team that just decimated the Premier League a couple years back, I feel like they just... Like I said, Jurgen Klopp, he got lucky. I feel like he's a great coach, but he got lucky getting that squad because they were firing on all cylinders, man. Like that team, the whole year was just clicking and clicking. And I feel like now you're starting to see each player kind of maybe take a step back. Like I know Firmino's taking steps back. Mane, Salah's the only guy that's like, I want to say, sustaining his, carrying the team. He, If it wasn't for him, they literally probably would only have like a few goals this whole season i mean and he scored his 100th goal today or uh, last week and i'm sorry and that's huge that just it's just a testament to the kind of player he is and he's just one of those guys that is like a generational talent he won't stop scoring and it's hard for people like him to take a step back but that's what separates him from people like mane and firmino in my opinion no i i absolutely agree and at the same time like i said you know, the things are starting to unravel out there. I know I said it before, but I cannot emphasize it enough. If there isn't a dramatic change within the ownership, the front office, or even the coaching staff on how they approach transfers, Liverpool will not be a top-four team next year. They might not even be off a top-four team this year. There's not much that could be said. 
uh, on to the next game. Uh, I believe it was. Oh yeah, it was Arsenal and Norwich. I know you love yeah. talking about Arsenal, so mm-hmm, I'll let you take yeah. more with this one. Uh, actually, man, today I don't have anything bad to say about Arsenal. I don't have anything good to say either, so it's just kind of neutral. I just, uh, I feel like, actually, no, I'll take it back. I have one good thing to say, and that's the lineup. I feel like Arteta kind of got the lineup right, but it is in part to A, Xhaka had COVID, so that was kind of a blessing in disguise for them. I don't wish COVID on anyone, obviously, but he had COVID, so he was in the lineup, and he's a big part of why they're not good, in my opinion, at least. The defense, the defense he went with uh, Ben White back there and Tomiyasu, who's a nice young player um, in place of where uh, Chambers would be and Gabriel in place of where Rob Holding would be. So I think those two players not being there kind of helped Arsenal a little bit. And then also Lakanga and Maitland-Niles. Maitland-Niles was pretty much begging um, Arteta on Instagram to play. He literally just said, like, put me in the squad on, like, an Instagram story. And Arteta, you know, finally decides to put him in. And I think he did He did decent. He wasn't, he wasn't poor or anything. He had a decent game. Um, Pepe was good. Pepe actually was pretty much the reason they scored. I mean, he hit the post like twice in that sequence and Aubameyang tapped it in. It's, it was, it's, there's some luck involved for sure. And I think they're also, they should be grateful that they're facing Norwich. Um, Norwich is, you know, as we all know, they're not a great team. They're only like, I think like two spots ahead of Arsenal. I think they were like 16th or 17th, something like that. They were still pretty low, all things considered. And, oh, a big thing is also El Nini. Um, he wasn't playing, and I feel like whenever he plays, Arsenal does very bad. Like I feel like they always concede when he's on the field for some odd reason. He makes too many mistakes. He doesn't make any forward runs. All his runs are like sideways. Like this guy just doesn't. I don't know why he just doesn't make any forward runs. It's just baffling to me. And Thomas Party is back from injury. He was he was good. He came in in the second half. Um, he made some good runs, some good passes. And Aaron Ramsey on goal, which I think is is good to try. I don't think he's their long term solution. I think I still think Leno's better than him, but I mean, I I really like uh, Ramsdale as like a trial. I don't like him as a as a permanent keeper. I think Leno is better than him, and I just think they have really nothing to lose. I mean, they're in the bottom five or bottom three now. I think they're sixteenth. So like, why not? Might as well give it a shot. You've been getting embarrassed by almost every team you face. So to kind of top it off, I'm just saying that Arsenal did get lucky in the goal. It was a tap-in. And they also got lucky that they were playing Norwich. So I think next week they have Burnley, and I think that's going to be a very tough game for them. They're probably going to lose that one, in my opinion, if they play like they did against Norwich because their play wasn't really convincing and Norwich wasn't threatening. So there's not really much to it in that. Um, I kind of agree, but I have like a counterpoint I, a little bit. I do think that Brent Leno is much better than Aaron Ramsdale, but you have to consider the age difference. I believe Ramsdale is still relatively young. I think he's in that 22, 23 range, while Brent Leno is pushing on 28. Brent Leno is kind of, you know, enter. I don't, I wouldn't say entering his prime because I don't think he's done all that well since he's been at Arsenal. But he's still there, like, you know, he hasn't reached the twilight of his career yet, but so he he would technically be considered in his prime still. 
I feel like maybe Brent Leno is going to be at Arsenal for maybe what, maybe one, two, maybe max three more years. And then Ramsdale is going to take over the reins when Brent Leno eventually decides to leave, whether that be Arsenal's choice or Brent Leno's choice. So, I yes, Aaron Ramsdale is, is going to be a trial. I don't see him starting many games in the Premier League. Maybe he'll start the Cup games, you know, the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, whatever it is. He might start those games. Maybe not a lot of Premier League games, but, you know, come back to me in, what, two years, three years, maybe something like that. I feel like you'll find Aaron Ramsdale a much better keeper and at the same time the starter for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, I hope so for their sake. And I just think that Leno's been used to, like, I'm not saying he's used to better performances, but he's used to playing with under pressure with bigger teams and bigger stages. He's played in the FA Cup final, yada, 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 all that stuff. So maybe if Leno starts to fall off a little more, I can definitely see Ramsdale stepping in at goal permanently. I, I wouldn't doubt it at all. Yeah. Next game was uh, Leicester and Man City. I thought this was, I'm not going to lie to you, both, like, on paper, it sounds like it's going to be a very good game because you have a lot of, obviously, Manchester City being one of the more complete teams in the league. Leicester City being a very underrated squad, a lot of underrated players on that squad. Um, Also, not a full squad because they have a lot of injuries. You know, they have Wesley Fofana, who was injured. They have James Justin, who was an absolute gem last year. Still injured coming off of that ACL injury since the end of last season. But on paper, it sounded like a really, really good game. You know, obviously not everything on paper translates to real life because the game only ended up finishing 1-0 and that only goal came off of Bernardo Silva, who had his back to Ederson, you know, obviously spun around, hit the goalpost on the way in. It was a really, really good goal, very technical. Something that you're used to seeing from a player of Bernardo Silva's caliber in his prime. You know, he's not exactly in his prime anymore, but I feel like he's auditioning for other clubs because, as we all know, he's trying to leave the club. He's already handed in a transfer request, and, you know, obviously Manchester City are reaching out and trying to find out, you know, which teams would be interested. You know, this is how it goes. You know, you go back you go back out on the pitch, you try to prove yourself to other teams because, you know, Bernardo Silva's a very, very good player, but obviously his role has diminished over the years as Guardiola has bought more and more players. And I feel like Graylich, you know, signing for City was the nail in the coffin. Um, Leicester City, though, very, very admirable effort. You know, Jamie Vardy almost, almost beating Ederson. Um, I'm sorry, before I had said that Bernardo Silva had his back to Ederson, it was Schmeichel, Casper Schmeichel. I'm sorry. It got mixed up there between the keepers. But yeah, no, Jamie Vardy almost scoring against Ederson. Uh, super, super close. He tripped at, literally as he was shooting the ball. You know, just kind of rolled past that left post. Very, very close stuff. Uh, as for chances, uh, not a lot of, you know, attempts from both squads. It was mostly like a midfield kind of thing, a struggle between both midfields. But overall, like, it was a really, really, like, okay game for a neutral fan. I guess if there's like nothing better for you to watch something like that, this was, this would be like a very, very good way to pass the time. Uh, Man City, like I said, still struggling to find a true striker. Obviously that failed with the negotiations during the summer, but you know, Torres is, he's, he's transitioning nicely. 
into that role. Pep Guardiola said that he's trying to teach Torres how to be more of a true nine. And so far, it's been working out because obviously Gabriel Jesus is not up to par with the rest of the strikers in the Premier League. It's it's strange to see why that guy's still on the squad. He's a very, very serviceable backup striker, just not really in that starting caliber. And Torres, he usually plays right wing or, you know, the right midfield, but he's transitioning very nicely into that striker role. Um, I could see him being a very, very good option at that position for Guardiola this year, up until obviously next summer when Manchester City obviously are going to buy a new striker. Yeah, I agree. You you pretty much covered everything, uh, especially the big, I think the glaring thing is the whole like Man City not having a true striker thing, which is big for them. I mean, they signed a 100 million pound man, Jack Grealish, but he's he's obviously not a striker, but I guess he'll have to do for now until they get one. Um, so moving on, uh, Chelsea took on Aston Villa, Stamford Bridge, Lukaku um, scored. He had a brace, and it was his actually his first goals at home in Stamford Bridge. Um, so that's good for him because even though he did play for Chelsea uh, back in the day when he was a youth, he didn't score at a senior level. So this is the first time he scored at home, Stamford Bridge. And they beat a good Aston Villa team. I think Aston Villa is a very good team that people sometimes might sleep on. Um, Mendy had um, some amazing saves, and he denied uh, Mings one of the tough shots, and uh, Ollie Watkins as well. Uh, Kovacic had a really, really good game too. Um, that goal he scored was very well took. He had great passes. Um, so other than that, really, this game was all Chelsea, it seemed like to me. And Aston Villa just didn't really have enough. Uh, I mean, their lineup was good. I just felt like Danny Ings, eh, I didn't really see a lot from him like he usually does. He's been a little dormant, I guess, as of late. Uh, their back line wasn't too great either. Um, they couldn't really have an answer for Lukaku once he gets you like on his back. It's pretty much game over. He's almost like a he's almost like an NFL tight end, like how big he is and how he gets positioned. Like it's just insane. And just some just a couple stats from this game. Chelsea recorded their 600th win in the Premier League, and they joined Man United with 690 as the only teams to reach this tally in the competition. And on the Aston Villa side, Aston Villa have lost six of their last seven Premier League away games at Stamford Bridge, conceding 21 goals and only scoring three across these meetings. And one last thing that I thought was pretty cool, Chelsea have only conceded one goal in the Premier League after four games of people i totally forgot they even coached chelsea back in the day so i thought that was pretty interesting yeah no that's definitely interesting uh i just want to go back to that little statement that you made about lukaku you are absolutely right honestly i never even thought about it that way lukaku is basically built like a tight end you know he has the speed he has the athleticism the physicality the positioning that he has is, is very elite it's it's very crazy to see once he has his arm, like, you know, you know, holding on to you while he's running with the ball, you can pretty much call that a wrap. There's not much that 
or not many people who could stop him in the Premier League. And I feel like that's a testament to how physical the Serie A league is because they play a lot of defense over there. Italy prioritizes defense more than offense in their domestic leagues or their basic, you know, their mentality. And you could see that with the national team, by the way, that the Italy's defense, especially during the Euros last summer, was insanely good. It's just oh, a testament to... It's like, always, they, Italy has always been known for its defense, man. Like, so yeah, you're yeah. right. Like, they, they yeah. really breed absolute... Just... Just dogs, just straight Monsters. up dogs on defense. Yeah, yeah. And and my point is that Lukaku had a lot of practice over in Serie A, you know, working with these physical Italian defenders over there in that league. And I feel like the Premier League kind of focuses more on the, like, tactics, you know, technicalities, the technical skills, other than relying on physical gifts or, like, you know, speed or anything like that. So I feel like Lukaku definite, definitely has an advantage on these Premier League defenders because he's very physical. You know, he plays within the rules of the game, but at the same time, most of the time, if Lukaku's coming at you, he's either going to pass you up or he's literally going to push you down on his way over to the goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's going to run you over. He's going to steamroll you. That's what he's going to do. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Next game, I believe, was... Uh, Manchester United and Newcastle. Yeah, this one was a big one. Obviously, with a lot of things. Ronaldo debut. Finally signing for Manchester United after, you know, that little saga they had. Uh, his debut finally came through. He actually had, you know, he was released from international duty. I think it was after the first game between Portugal and Ireland. Only because he requested it to go to Manchester to, you know, obviously properly quarantine and be able to play. And he wanted to, like, you know, get into the real, you know, grit of training under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And a lot of people really never expected him to debut so soon. Everyone thought he was going to, like, you know, take a game to rest, just like Lukaku did. You know, and Lukaku was coming from the same league. But no, Ronaldo debuted. You know, obviously everyone was astonished to see that he was going to be in the starting lineup, not even just coming on at a sub. And it was a perfect day for Manchester United. We're coming in um, very, very boring first half. You know, just not a lot of chances. And then, obviously, that Ronaldo goal literally just electrified the entire Old Trafford Stadium. Also attended by Sir Alex Ferguson, who was, you know, there to see his personal friend, you know, and former player. Really, really good tap-in from Ronaldo. Obviously, tap-ins are not, like, something to be celebrated. But, obviously, Ronaldo coming back to Old Trafford, you know, everyone went crazy. You know, coming into the second half, uh, it was basically just United from that point on. Newcastle did end up scoring in that second half off of a really, really good goal by Mankilo. Uh, very, very, he you know, coming on from the right side of the box, shooting it into the left corner. Very, very technical stuff. Really good goal. But it was basically United from there on out. We're talking about a second goal coming in from Ronaldo as well. His positioning was everything during this play. You see Luke Shaw running down the middle of the field. Ronaldo, you know, trying to slide in between defenders, finally getting that open crease. Luke Shaw going in with a through ball. He threaded that needle so well. He's very, very good at passing for a defender, someone that's usually, you know, used to playing back at the back line. Fun Ronaldo, who literally just, you know, 
glided the ball through the keeper's legs. Very smooth, very, very good to see. And, you know, at that point, you kind of felt like United has taken over, even though it was only a very bare 2-1 lead. But still, you know, you kind of felt like it was there from that point. And it was definitely over the nail in the coffin was that Bruno Fernandes goal that came a few minutes later. Outside the box, absolutely insane. You know, it's just crazy to see the, you know, the dynamic of this Manchester United team. You know, you everyone's saying, you know, they're back and whatever, but still, like, this, this team is elite. This team is, in my eyes at the moment, the top contender for the title. They're just so complete. They have a very, very solid defense, a very elite midfield. Led by Bruno Fernandez, and then we're talking about the attack. You have Marcus Rashford. You have Jadon Sancho. You have Cristiano Ronaldo. Like you have nothing missing, and not even just that. Their bench is fantastic. Sure, the coach does have some questionable tactics that we're going to get into later with the with the United with the Champions League game, but still, you know, you're not gonna like a bad coach is not gonna coach a team badly every single game. He's going to have his games. And this team, they definitely have the personnel to really challenge for that Premier League title. Especially with City, like we said, not having a true striker. With Liverpool not, you know, not focusing on their transfers. Chelsea is literally the only team standing in their way at the moment. They're, they're the most serious contender in front of United. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think if Man City had another striker, it'd probably be a different conversation. But... As of right now, just because of how put together, how well put together Man United is, they should win it all. Who you never know, anything can happen, especially in the Premier League. It's been you know, there's Chelsea. If Tottenham can stay healthy, which I'll get to uh, in a minute, maybe they'll be able to um, to contend. But as of right now, I think it might be Man United's to lose. I don't know. That could be a hot take for some people, but I think it's. It's their league to lose at this point. And like I said, who knows? Anything can happen. No, yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, but let's get to... Uh, I touched on Tottenham and uh, their health issues. They faced Crystal Palace. So another London derby here. And uh, Youngman Son, you know, he's been on absolute fire this season so far. And unfortunately, he couldn't play. He was hurt. And I think that really, it it didn't do Tottenham any favors because Crystal Palace and new head coach Patrick Vieira, Arsenal legend and France legend, they they got a win against them. They beat them 3-0. They controlled the entire game. The real turning point for this game was Tanganga when he got thrown, when he got a red card. So that was right about at the hour mark. And that's when the game really started to turn. And then, like, I think it was, what, like, 18, 15, 15 minutes later, 18 minutes later, they mm-hmm. give up they give up a penalty. And Wilfred Zaha, with a nice kick, he converted. And the real story of this game is Odson Edward. He came on, like, in the 70-something minute. And he scored, I think, 10 minutes after he came on, his first ever goal in the 84th minute. And that wasn't enough for him. This guy turns around and scores another goal in the 90, 93rd minute and uh, mm-hmm. an extra in uh, stoppage time. I'm sorry. 
And that that alone was just like a huge, huge thing because he's the fourth player in Premier League history to score more than once as a substitute on their day in competition with people like Sergio Aguero is the only other guy to do that um, for Man City back in 2011. So he's already in like fantastic company and there are two very well-taken goals. And I feel like for me, that's the story. This guy just, this is why soccer... It's such a beautiful sport. Like, this guy just comes off the bench, his first game ever, and he's playing a pretty big team, Tottenham, London Derby. He says, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to make my mark. He made his mark for sure. He scored two goals, and it's one, of, it's, it's one of the reasons why we just love soccer so much. And just a couple more stats here. Um, Crystal Palace have enjoyed their biggest... Premier League win in the London Derby. So the last time they did that was actually against Tottenham. At one time, it was another 3-0 victory. And against Arsenal in April of 2017, also a 3-0 victory. So they they have their moments where they can do pretty well in um, London Derbies. So... I think for me, this is a good win for, for Palace, even though, yeah, Hung Min Sun wasn't playing, and yeah, Tana were down a man. But you just felt like you just felt like it was their game from the very beginning. So, well done. Well done to them, for sure. Yeah, no clue what they were planning on doing there. Uh, obviously, when it comes to Tottenham, Tottenham was lost out there. It was definitely Crystal Palace's game. And it was nice to see, because obviously, Crystal Palace have a new coach, uh, the first new coach in a very long time for that club. And it was nice to see him get that win finally and uh, against a team that was uh, obviously top of the Premier League table. Very, very impressive to see. And obviously with what you said with Edward, Edward was fantastic, you know, coming on that late in the game just to basically, you know, get a feel for the game, get a feel for the Premier League and see how it goes. And for him to score, very, very impressive. Um... And that's only once. He scored twice. That's even more impressive. You know, the, the, the record that you stated is, is very crazy to think. Uh, because, you know, put, being put in the same list as Sergio Aguero, who is one of the all-time Premier League players, maybe even the best. You know, he had a lot of great goals for City, a lot of fantastic moments for City. Anyone who knows anything about the Premier League will always remember that goal that won City the title in, I believe, in 2011. Oh yeah, crazy. You know, being being put in 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 company like that is very impressive. It's a very good start, and I just hope that this gives him confidence to keep playing. And I also hope it gives the coach, you know, the confidence to keep playing him more than you know fifteen to twenty minutes like he did during that first game. It was really really good to see. Okay, so. We can transition to the Champions League now. I think we got all the all the big uh, the big stuff from the Premier League in. So I'll start off um, with Dortmund traveling to Turkey to take on Besiktas, and this was this was a good game. Main a lot of people are tuning in obviously to see you know Erling Holland and Jude Bellingham, and if that's what they were tuning in for, they definitely got their money's worth because both of those guys scored. And Jude Bellingham, man, this guy is just, he's hes just slowly but surely turning into one of those players that you're like, okay, hold on, maybe this guy, this guy has that it factor, you know, he has that, like, he has that almost like the Holland factor to him, but he's just a little younger than Holland, 
But I think with a little bit more time and Dorman just develops young players at just rapid pace, it just like they just spit them out, it seems like these this great young talent. And he's definitely one of those players and for the English national team they they should be they should be thanking their lucky stars that they have a player like him playing. But I mean, he really converted the first chance of the game and it was from a tough angle too. It was not an easy shot. He kind of had to catch it and control it uh, to the goalkeeper's left side, and he put it um, to his left side. He didn't put it in the far corner. He he went close, near post, and he put it. So that was a tough goal in and of itself. And on a lighter note, it was nice to see former Barca player Pjanic finally getting some minutes. He started this game. He had a couple nice corners, a couple nice crosses. Just really good to see him getting playing time. I hate to see a player like him just rot away at Barca. So, um, and then Holland scored the second goal in the 48th minute of stoppage time. And Bellingham set him up, of course, uh, with a great run. He found Holland. Holland with a pretty easy finish. And for Holland, this is his 21st goal of his young Champions League career. And he's played in 21 games. So he scored 21 Champions League goals in 21 games. This guy is just an absolute machine this guy's not human if he continues on this pace then it's it's going to be tough for for all the other teams to contain him and just looking at some more interesting stats here Borussia Dortmund have maintained a hundred percent win record against Turkish opposition in the UEFA Champions League winning all five matches by aggregate scoreline of 15 to 3 their best hundred percent record against teams My from a specific God. nation yeah so whenever Dortmund goes to turkey you know it's a wrap like pretty much in champions league that's it it's over um <laughs> but yeah um i mean Besiktas got a goal at the end it was nothing more than a consolation goal Dortmund dominated this game and i think the real story here i mean both goalkeepers had good games too they made some decent saves in the beginning of the game both teams were kind of feeling each other out but I think the story of the game, like I said earlier, is just the young talent, that, that that tandem of Jude Bellingham and Erling Holland, And I think we're going to be seeing, hopefully, we see these guys play for a little longer. I know there's a lot of rumors about Holland, you know, going elsewhere, going to bigger clubs. And I think Jude Bellingham is going to be getting calls from bigger clubs, too. I just hope we can see these two guys keep playing together just because they're such a joy to watch. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on that point. Jude Bellingham is really, really good. I believe this is his first, maybe second year at uh, Borussia Dortmund. Coming in from the second tier of the Premier League, I fail to recall the team name, honestly. All I could remember about the team that he was on in England, they actually they were in like deep financial trouble. And they actually retired Bellingham's number after that he left because, you know, basically he got sold for a pretty high price to Borussia Dortmund. And he basically got them out of that rut. So they were obviously trying to thank him in a way that would be mostly, you know, eternal or for like a very long time. So they decided to retire his jersey number. Really, really nice to see. Very, very meaningful things. But moving on to what you said, no, your depth, you're absolutely correct. Dortmund has a knack for developing, you know, the, they buy these players from, like, other clubs, mostly unknown countries or unknown, you know, leagues or anything like that. And they quickly develop players into fantastic, fantastic options. 
The only problem with that is that they usually end up selling these players. You know, they get them for very cheap. They develop them. They turn them into superstars. And then, you know, off they go into onto bigger teams. And this isn't like a recent trend. We're going all the way back to Usman Dembele, you know, coming in, being fantastic for that squad, being sold to Barcelona for $120 million. You have, obviously, Aubameyang, who got sold to Arsenal. I believe it was like four or five years ago. And uh, I just, you know, I hope that maybe they can learn their lesson this time. Because Erling Holland is not someone that you just sell. It's not he's not someone that you just develop and sell. Erling Holland is the future of Dortmund and not even just Dortmund. He's the future of any club that he's on. He's he's a monster. He's he's crazy. His goal scoring rate is 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 historical. It is nothing short of historical. And the fact that he knows it's historical and he's not even happy enough. He says, you know, I'd like to have more goals than I play matches. This guy has a fire within him that cannot be tamed easily. Yeah, has a lot to work on in his game. He's, his physicality is fantastic and his, his, his striking, his, his, his shooting is, is beyond crazy. It is great to see him in a Dortmund jersey, and you can only hope to see him continue in a Dortmund jersey for two reasons. One of them is kind of biased for me. I don't believe that Bayern has enough competition in the Bundesliga. And seeing Dortmund, you know, obviously there are rivals and things like that. It's always nice to see that, you know, I'd like to win games, yes, but I'd like to also earn those wins. I don't want easy competition. Because then, when you get used to easy competition in your domestic league, you're obviously going to be surprised or shocked or, you know, obviously, like, taken by surprise in the Champions League. You know, when you see stiff competition in the European leagues, you know, the only the only person you can blame is yourself because, you know, you did nothing in your domestic league to really train for situations like that. And then, obviously, like I said, if Dortmund hadn't sold... Of, like all those players that they developed over the years, they would have an elite squad. They would have one of the greatest squads in the world today. So you can only hope to see Holland continue being a Borussia Dortmund player. And same for Jude Bellingham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, transition a little bit into the, another game that, you know, occurred this week, the young boys in Manchester United game. This was a head-scratcher. I, I don't even know who to really blame on this one. But I'm just going to get into it. Uh, obviously, this is Ronaldo's first game in the Champions League when it, you know, since his return to Manchester United. And this was like in a usually pretty easy game. Young boys, no offense to them. Not really Champions League contenders. Uh, I don't even think they're contenders in their domestic league. I honestly have no clue. So it kind of seemed like an easy warm-up game for for you for Ronaldo to really get into the groove and maybe you know get more adjusted to Solskjaer's tactics or his you know chemistry with his team since he's only played one game with them. But uh, strange, strange to see. Uh, Ronaldo ended up scoring in the first. I believe it was the thirteenth minute. A fantastic cross into the box. Ronaldo just easily. It looked like a tap in, honestly, but it just wasn't. It was just easy, simple, very clean for Ronaldo. Right into the goal. Uh, young boys ended up equalizing. I believe it was near the end of the first half or the beginning of the second half. 
And here's where things went wrong. You know, obviously you expect United, after a fantastic game against Newcastle, you expect them to keep living off that momentum and obviously get the winning goal, but that just never came. Uh, you know, things started going bad for them when Ronaldo got subbed off in, I believe, the 65th minute. Uh, Solskjaer ended up bringing on Jesse Lingard. I do not blame Solskjaer in this situation because, like I said, you have a game on Saturday. Or I believe it was on Sunday. Yes, you have a game on Sunday against West Ham United. A team very much in form. Yes, they're going to be playing with Antonio, who got a red card last week. But they're still very much in form. They're not a team that you have to take lightly. So getting Ronaldo some rest is not a bad decision. Uh, bringing on Jesse Lingard is also not a bad decision. But Jesse Lingard had some very, very poor uh, decision-making near the end of the game. It, it is the 94th minute. There's literally 40 seconds left in the game because the referee gave five minutes of stoppage time. It's easy. You just literally work for the draw. You have five other match days to really get your points and make it to the knockout stages. Uh, David De Gea, you know, giving it to Jesse Lingard up front. Jesse Lingard, you know, he kind of got stuck between the young boys' uh, team who were obviously going off for an all-out attack because, sure, they were going to be happy with the draw, but, you know, who knows? Maybe they could go for that miracle hit and maybe get those three points against United, and they ended up did. They ended up getting those points. Jesse Lingard wanted to pass it back to David De Gea. Uh, it did not work out. It, that pass literally landed in the lap of the young boys' striker. Who literally, he's, there's no one there. That guy has already passed all the defenders. So it is literally just a head-scratcher. You don't know. Like, you're watching, and you're not comprehending what Jesse Lingard is doing. It's a very simple maneuver. Just pass it back to the keeper. Put some power into it because he wasn't that close to the keeper. Like I said, landed right there in front of goal. It is honestly the easiest thing I've ever seen. Like, honestly, I would be surprised on who wouldn't be able to score an opportunity like that. Young boys went crazy. They ended up scoring two, and this would be the second goal, giving them the lead over United with literally 40 seconds left. You know, they're running all over the pitch. You know, the fans are almost ready to storm the entire pitch after, but obviously they couldn't due to the regulations of the Champions League. And United end up, instead of, you know, settling for a point, not getting any points at all because of that, you know, decision that Jesse Lingard made. Yeah, it's just a mental lapse, man. You can't make those mistakes in, in such a crucial stage like that. And Ronaldo's night was pretty much foiled by, you know, by Jesse Lingard just not thinking it straight. I really, no one knows what he was trying to do there. And it just, you know, it just, just unfortunate. But we can move on to another big Champions League debut in a different uniform which was PSG taking on a club Bruges from Belgium. This is Manchester played in Belgium. And it was the first time we would see Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar starting in a Champions League match. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, obviously, the whole world, all eyes were on this game. I feel like most people were watching this game. But I feel like Club Bruges kind of played party pooper here because they, they had a really, really good answer for them. I feel like Messi... Okay, so here's my thing. Messi 
was doing good. He had he did his his classic runs into the box. He had these nice one twos that he always does. These long through passes. It was classic Messi, but they failed to convert on some chances. The first goal was taken very well. Ander Herrera set up by Mbappe, who literally spun the defender around 360 before he crossed it into Ander Herrera, who slotted it in pretty easily. Messi did have a chance from about the eight, outside the 18-yard box on his left foot, uh, hit the post, and that's just unfortunate because it was, I mean, it, it should have been going in, really, but it's just unfortunate. He did look more fit than his first game. Um, his first game in the, in the League One, he does look more fit and just wants to play more, I guess. That's what he looks like, and he looks like a lot better as well. And when Club Bruges scored that goal to to even it up, I think that's where the game took a turn. I feel like Icardi also had a chance and didn't go. They Bruges played played pretty well. I mean, they they constantly tested PSG in defense, and Navas had to make some some really nice saves to keep them out. And I think that's where the the issue might be right now, which is kind of tough. For anyone to say that there's an issue with with PSG, but I'm not 100% sold on their back line. Amadou Diallo, Presnel Kimpembe, Marquinhos, and Hakimi. Marquinhos, Hakimi, they prove with themselves. Um, Presnel Kimpembe, he's okay. Um, yeah, Diallo, I don't know. I'm not really too sold on him. Obviously, Sergio Ramos is waiting in the wings to you know to play. He's hurt right now. He's not that fit. And I I also think they should give Donnarumma a chance. It's just me. I think they should give Donnarumma a chance at least in the Champions League. He should be their Champions League keeper in my opinion. He was the player of the tournament at the Euros, and you you freaking bought him. So I don't understand why he's not playing unless there's a fitness issue that I don't know about. But I haven't heard anything about that. So I think he should at least at least be the keeper for Champions League because you won't lose anything if if anything he's I want to say he's he's better than Kaylor Navas in my opinion he's he's one of the top top four top five keepers in the world not to say Kaylor Navas is bad but Kaylor Navas is also an amazing keeper but I think with with Donnarumma I mean you bought you bought the guy just you know give him a chance but to transition. Um, We'll get some stats in here. Not really much in this game. It was, yeah, they weren't really tested. Um, the keeper, uh, before I get the stats, actually, the Bruges keeper, uh, Minoulet, who was a former Liverpool keeper as well, he's used to playing pretty big talent. So he said, they asked him, like, after the game, like, how'd you feel? And he said, like, pretty much something along the lines of, like, I didn't really feel tested at all. So kind of taking some shots at PSG front three there, saying that he wasn't didn't really feel that tested, which... He kind of has a point. He really wasn't that tested or else PSG would have won. But back to the stats, they've won. PSG have won their opening game in a Champions League in just one of their last four seasons. So, and that was, that was 2019, 2020, winning against Real Madrid 3-0. And PSG have scored at least one goal in each of their last 33 group stage games. And this stems back to November 2015, and it's the longest current scoring streak in the entire group stage of the Champions League. So they can score goals. I just felt like they had an off night today, which is, you know, which is, 
you know warranted they're gonna there's chemistry that needs to be worked out and fitness levels and all that good stuff so once they start firing they're gonna it's gonna be tough for people but as of right now this is gonna take some time so not worried for psg at all you know, i was really hoping that you weren't gonna mention chemistry because i really wanted to like get into that but no you 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 mentioned chemistry and you're absolutely correct Obviously, Club Bruges is not a an elite club. They are not a premier club when it comes to when you mention the top teams of the world. But again, like you said, this squad is not even close to completion. You know, like you said, you have Don Ruma who has still hasn't played, and I'm not sure about the reason why either. As far as I know, there is no fitness issue. And Kaylor Navas, no disrespect to him, he's a very very good keeper. He was fantastic with Madrid, and he's been great so far with PSG. But Donnarumma is something else. He is much more physical. He is much more agile. He is taller. You know, his saving skills are off the charts. We're talking about a player that is basically a 10-year veteran, and he's not even 25 yet. You know, that's mm-hmm. just crazy yeah. to think about. And, you know, seeing him not suit up for Paris is, is, is questionable. Like I said, is, if there is an issue that you and I don't know about, then, yeah, sure, I understand. But if he's ready to go, you know, just put him up on the pitch because this team chemistry is going to be very tough to achieve this year. But they need to at least, you know, reach a certain level where they're comfortable with each other on the pitch. But again, if you have a player or two that are not playing yet, because obviously Ramos still hasn't played, I believe, you know, you're going to have problems when you're fully healthy, when everyone's ready to go. You know, what's going to happen there? You know, playing styles, they're going to be way too different. You're going to find struggles out there. And it would be a shame to see because this team is stacked at quite literally every position. I know you that you said you don't have a lot of confidence in the defense, but you take any of these players and you place them on other teams, they immediately are upgraded. You know what I mean? Um. Yeah, I'd say Marquinhos and Hakimi are definitely upgrades. Like, I would definitely want those guys at Barcelona for sure. I, I would know, take Kimpembe, but I would. Sure. I don't think he'd be like a huge like. Oh my God, he's gonna solve our problems. I think Hakimi and Marquinhos could potentially, but I mean they're definitely upgrades. But I don't think they're like, you know, that big of upgrades in my opinion. Still, an upgrade is an upgrade. Yeah. Oh, you're right. So, yeah, it's just, it's basically like I said, you know, Paris, you know, it's just one game. It's not a big deal. Club Rouge could, you know, take this and put that, put it as a notch on their belt that they beat the uh, quote unquote dream team. But once this team has all their players ready and available to play and they build a basic level of chemistry, like I said, not sure who's going to be able to stop them. I cannot name a team in my head that can be able to stop a team that has all these players, you know, basically running at you. And I'm not, and, and, and at this moment, I'm talking about the attack alone. You still have a very, very solid midfield and a really, really good defense, along with, you know, obviously with Don Roma coming in. Crazy to think about. Uh, speaking of great keepers, though, I really want to talk about the uh, Inter Milan and the Real Madrid game because that was a game... Where you really, if you're a keeper, an aspiring keeper or something like that, you really just need to watch that game. Because Thibaut Courtois, he was really, really good. And anyone who knows me knows that I will never talk, like, 
or compliment or talk about Real Madrid in like a very good way or a positive way because of my massive dislike for that team. But Courtois was something else that game. He was fantastic. You know, Inter, it looked like they had all these fantastic chances. They looked like they were going in each and every time. But Courtois, always there to save it. You know, coming in from the beginning of the game, eating Zico, you know, running around the defender, you know, basically running past him, you know, shooting, you know, basically kind of hit, trying to hit that, you know, top left corner, Courtois saving it. And then a cross, in, like a few minutes later, a cross into the box, Lotaro Martinez is literally right, he's, he's alone, he's, there's literally no one there with him. You know, it literally just falls safely into Courtois's hands. It kind of looks like he was—he made no effort to to you know save that. It looked fl- it looked easy to him. It looked like it was nothing. It just—it was fantastic to see. It's it's and it's also even it's greater to see because, like I said, Courtois is basically the reason that Madrid won. Because you know, you put any other keeper in this spot, I guarantee you. Inter Milan would have scored at least two goals. And, you know, obviously with, with the way that Real Madrid is set up these days, they don't have a lot of, you know, impact players that can, you know, try to get you those goals. Sure, you have Karim Benzema, who is a club legend and one of the most underrated strikers of all time, in my eyes. But again, after that, who do you have? An injury-prone Eden Hazard. You have a very young, a very unrefined Vinicius Jr., you don't have a lot of players in that position who can kind of get you those goals that you can consistently rely on. And yes, Real Madrid ended up winning that game off of a, I believe it was a, uh, yeah, it was a goal from Rodrigo, assisted by the newest signing from Real, to, to Real Madrid, uh, Eduardo Camavinga, I believe. Uh, very, very, very uh, simple cross, literally just overhead over the defender. You know, falling into Rodrigo's lap, shooting it. He's right in front of goal, easily. You know, gliding into that left right side of the right side of the net. But again, Courtois, truly a hero in this game. Uh, I'm not sure if he won Man of the Match or not, but in my eyes, he really should have because I don't see anyone else who, you know, exhumed that much effort as much as that he did. Yeah, he's been he's been a factor with Real Madrid, especially the past couple of years. He, in my eyes, I mean, being a Barca fan, we have a huge rivalry with Madrid, obviously. In my eyes, he might be. I want to say, I mean, this is going to be tough, but I want to say he's probably the best keeper in the world from what I've seen from him, because I do follow Real Madrid quite closely. I do watch their games a lot. Um, they, he, the, the saves that he makes, especially with his kicks, his legs, the way he makes kick saves, cause he's so long, he's so tall and his reflexes are just out of this world. You, the only way to score on Courtois, the only goals I've seen him concede are the goals that no one else can save. Like not even if you could put two, three keepers in the goal, they wouldn't save that. Those are the type of goals that he concedes that, that go in on him just because he's he's that great and you know and real madrid real madrid can make some noise obviously compared to barcelona which we'll get into um after i do this last game obviously have a more complete squad than us um from top to bottom that's not saying much though but i do like i do like vinicius jr a lot he scored for real madrid over the weekend um in one of their in their games that they won camavinga also scored coming on for real madrid last weekend in La Liga 
got them a well-needed win in a close game. So I don't know, man. I think I think Madrid can can really upset some people. They they be an Inter, yeah, sure. It took a eighty-something minute goal from a substitute to do it, but I think they can they can keep doing this and they can keep beating people when Real Madrid when they get lucky. You know, they they definitely get lucky and they and they make it work somehow. So there's, there's that's what I, all I got to say about Madrid. But we can transition into probably the most chaotic game of the Champions League week. Bro, this game, not many people know or watch this game because there's a lot of other really good games going on. Sevilla and Salzburg, there was four penalties awarded in the first 30 minutes of this game. Three yeah, of them to Salzburg. Yeah, three of them to Salzburg. This dude missed two of them. Um, Eddie Emmy is this young German kid. I've honestly never heard of him. But he won. he won all three penalties. He took the first two. He missed them. The third one was taken by another guy, Lukas Sucic. He hit it. Um, just absolute, absolute madness and chaos. This, this game was just like end to end. It was, it was crazy. This is, might have been my favorite game of the whole week. It was just insane. And then, <laughs> and then if that wasn't enough, Sevilla got a penalty and they didn't miss. Rakitic doesn't miss many of those. Um, this was game. This game was super, super back and forth. I mean, Yasin Bono. He was making amazing saves. He's a, also a very, very underrated keeper. I really like him. I think he's he's a very good goalkeeper, and he's underrated. Uh, obviously, uh, Salzburg, mm, you know, they, they did well. Eddie Emmy made some great runs. Honestly, before this game, I had no idea who this kid was, but he made some great runs. I think he winning them the three penalties, the first two were bad penalties. He looked like he wanted nothing to do with those with those two penalties, so... Other than that, he did he did well. Um, this game ended one one. Those two penalties were the only things to kind of separate the teams. Like I said, both teams are going back and forth, and you know Yusuf and Nasiri, he was dismissed at the fiftieth minute, and they faced a tough task to keep that point. You know Salzburg was coming at him, but in the end, Sevilla did just enough. I think with the help of keeper Yasin Bono was very very sharp like i said before to keep that one one draw but like this is the first i think this is the first game in champions league history that three that four sorry four penalties were taken in the first 42 minutes i think i think ever i can double check that but i think this is the first time this has ever happened i'll double check that and get back by the end of the show hey you wouldn't be surprised if it would be the first time it happened anywhere Honestly, that's that's just crazy to think about by itself. Yeah, it's it's just insane. Um, and then just one stat I read from this game that was kind of was kind of interesting. FC Salzburg's um, winning start to their season comes to an end, having won all ten matches tonight in all competitions. They also maintain the record of conceding in each of their away in each of their away UEFA Champions League goals. So they played ten matches in UEFA Champions League and they conceded nineteen goals. So these guys give up, you know, quite a lot yeah. of goals in Champions League. Yeah. And I honestly I personally did not watch this game, but I found out the, the madness that ensued. I think I believe it was that the end of their first half when I, you know, scrolling social media randomly and I found that it was a random stat saying that there were three, at least three penalties in that first half. Crazy to think about. 
and I'm I'm pretty sure that's what's needed because if I remember us, we were looking at that group and we were analyzing who we think could like come out of that group after the Champions League draw. You know, it just that that group is a snooze fest. It's it's just four teams who are you know in their own domestic leagues. Yes, sure, they're almost contenders. But, like, not truly there. And then, you know, you compare this group to the rest of the Champions League groups, it's a snooze fest. So to have that happen in the first game, is it's crazy. It's just entertainment, and it's much-needed entertainment from that, you know, Champions League group. Uh, speaking of entertainment, though, this, you know, what you said might have been the craziest game of the week, but I definitely think the most exciting game of the week for me was the Liverpool and, and uh, AC Milan the AC Milan game. Uh, very, very highly anticipated because obviously these two teams have a lot of history in the Champions League together. Especially when it comes to, you know, obviously anyone that's talking about the 2005 final between the, you know, Liverpool and AC Milan and the 2007 final as well. Uh, really, really crazy to think about. Uh, Especially, you know, Milan coming back to the Champions League after, I believe, 13 or 14 years. You know, they've been gone since. But they're back now. I believe that this was their first trip to Anfield, even. Crazy to think about. Uh, it was a very, very entertaining game. Liverpool ended up winning 3-2. to two. Uh, Arnold started off with scoring very early. You know, Mo Salah coming up on that right wing. Kind of, kind of looked like he was kind of, like, you know, almost getting out of bounds there. But, you know, found a... You know, lateral pass to Arnold, who just literally just took it into the box. It kind of looked like a little chip going over the keeper. But again, you know, he always finds those little creases, those little spots where he could just, you know, find the ball, you know, shoot the ball in. One of the more elite, you know, uh, fullbacks in the world today. The guy could do it all. You know, assisting you always find, you know, the corners that he's, those elite corners that he always shoots. And the goals, you know, obviously. And, th and th this is all just on the attacking side. On the defending side, he's also fantastic. Um, Milan, you know, obviously ended up uh, equalizing early. I believe it was Antti Ribic who ended up getting an assist off of Rafael Leao. And, you know, shortly after that, Milan took a 2-1 to -one lead against Liverpool. And it was very impressive to see because, you know, Milan's still rebuilding their squad, but, you know, having them putting up a type of game like this against Liverpool is crazy to see. Obviously, you know, Liverpool came back, you know, they, like I said before, they ended up winning 3-2. to two. The second goal came off of a chip. It kind of looked like it was like a lob chip from Divac Origi. You know, going into Salah, who was literally alone by himself in the box. You know, at first glance, it kind of looked like Salah, like he was he was offside. But, you know, upon further review, you know, he moved with the defenders at the same time. It was just a genius pass from Origi, who, you know, Salah quickly equalized for Liverpool. And the third goal, third goal was very impressive to see. You know, coming off a corner, Arnold obviously shooting that corner. It deflected off a Milan defender. And it fell right into Jordan Henderson's lap. It was just picture perfect. Literally at the edge of the box, very low driven shot going past the keeper into the goal. 
And, you know, everyone went wild. You know, you can look at the sidelines and you saw Jurgen Klopp basically bear-hugging Thiago and, you know, lifting him up and whatever. You know, Jordan Henderson running all the way over to the sidelines, you know, putting his hand up to his ear, kind of like, you know, where's your where's your energy at, you know? And I know it was in front of Anfield, but he was trying to hear that electrified, you know, atmosphere that you can always find at Anfield. Very good game for Liverpool coming off of, you know, a very impressive season so far. It's crazy. You know, we always complain about, you know, how their team is composed of players who are not playing that well. But, you know, the results are just always there. You know, I'm pretty sure, yes, they've, they haven't lost the game yet this season. And they started off the Champions League with a very fantastic game. Yeah, man, that was it was nice. I really liked the goal from Henderson. I think that I thought that was a world class goal from him. It was mm-hmm. very nice, and we know we know he's capable of scoring goals like that. He doesn't do it often, but he's capable of it once he gets the chance. And you know, I mean, Liverpool's—I don't know whatever you want to call it—luck or just good run of form continues, man. I mean, different people will say different things. I personally think. It is some luck, and I personally think that you know they're they are they're not they're not a bad team by any means. They're a good team still, but I think there is some luck involved in their in their run of form. But hey, you know what? It is what it is, man. That's that's how the ball bounces sometimes. So I transition to another English club, um, who who can win Champions League, Man City, and they took on Leipzig in Manchester. And this game was a high-scoring game. This game ended six three. Um, it was it was a very very good goal. And RB Leipzig still have a very very good team, even though uh, Marcel Zabitzer is a Bayern Munich player now. They still have a very solid team. They have people like Christopher Nkunku, who scored all three goals for them um, during that game. People like Danny Olmo, Emil Forsberg, um, <clears throat> Angelino. He's he's a very good Spanish defender. Their goalkeeper, Hungarian uh, Gulachi. He's he's a decent goalkeeper as well. So they have they have a good team. They have a pretty good team. But you got to be better than pretty good to beat Man City. So, I mean, Man City just went off this game. It was Nathan Ake started the scoring, and then it just kept going. There was own goal, Mara's penalty. Jag Grealish scored a Jag Grealish goal that where we were used to seeing him score. So finally, the hundred million pound man, you know, gets off the Schneid in the Champions League with a great goal curling in from his, his right foot, like he usually does. Jao Cancelo also scored a great goal this this game. There was two nice goals this game, and then Gabriel Jesus finished it off at the end. So this game was just really just back and forth. There's really no defense uh, whatsoever. Um. They they look they were never really troubled by Leipzig, but Leipzig always kind of like it's like when Man City scored a goal or scored two goals, Leipzig would score like a goal, and then you think they're in it, Man City would score again, and so on and so forth. Each time Leipzig got close, Man City would further the gap. So that's what champions do. Man City are not UEFA champions, but they are. Premier League champions, and that's what they do. They know how to distance themselves and separate themselves, and Guardiola knows how to play that pretty well. And Cuckoo's hat-trick was pretty much a consolation. He's a former Man City player, like I said earlier. Um, he didn't really celebrate much when he scored. He kind of just, just ran, I guess, with the ball. 
and Angelino getting sent off in the 79th minute. I mean, by then it was already like five to three. So, yeah, I mean, they could have done something, but not really. So Man City have won 50 of their last 91 Champions League games, becoming the second fastest team to win 50 games in tournaments history after Real Madrid in 2003, who won 50 games in 88 games played. And this is Manchester City's highest scoring UEFA Champions League game, 6-3, surpassing the eight goals they netted in their 5-3 victory over Monaco in February of 2017. So, all around, Man City. Man City is going to Man City, you know, pretty much. And uh, Leipzig's still not a... They're, they're still not a team anyone should sleep on. I really like this team, even though probably the best player's atmosphere is gone, but I really, really like this team. No, they're fantastic. Uh, coming back, like, not even, like, a year ago, even... They had a really, really good core, you know, but unfortunately when it comes to these, you know, the teams that are RB or, you know, owned by Red Bull, they're usually transferred out because, you know, they're just basically owned by a corporation and the corporation are obviously, you know, not very interested into seeing results on the field. They're basically looking for mostly profit and, you know, it's just basically how it is for those teams, you know, that RB Leipzig, the RB Salzburg, the, you know, the New York Red Bulls. You basically see, you know, a solid youth prospect coming out of their academy or coming out of their team, basically being loaned between these three clubs. And then, you know, when he becomes big enough or elite enough for the, you know, for those clubs, he usually gets sold for a pretty big margin to a big team. And we literally just saw that last week with Marcel Sabitzer coming on to Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich, they've had him on their radar for a while. And it was nice to see him, you know, finally, you know, make that transfer over. But and and I'm I'm glad to have him as a Bayern Munich fan. I think he's a very very solid midfielder. But again, it just I don't not I mean, I'm not very comfortable with the idea of corporations really owning these teams out front. I feel like you know football is the people's game, and it should be owned by the people for the people. And you know the 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 inclusion of of corporates. You know, companies and basically the the idea that merchandise is above a product or above a winning result is, you know, it feels impure to to what the game is. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I mean, like you said, it's it's nice to have a player like like Zabitzer on your team for sure. But at the, the the other side of the the coin is it's also unfortunate for if you're a fan like put yourself in the fans position you're a fan of like a rb like a red bull owned team like you said or even a dortmund that like just constantly sells players like you you're like come on man like we 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 need some of these players we want to be competitive we want to see silverware we want to win you know so it's just unfortunate for for the fans more than anything really of those teams no i i definitely agree uh moving on to the next game. It was between uh, Juventus and Malmo. Uh, Juventus, obviously, struggling uh, ever since Ronaldo left. I believe they are... They're definitely in the bottom half of the Serie A table at the moment. I'm pretty sure that I believe that they are in the 16th, maybe 17th place. The 17th place, I believe, would play, would, would have them in the relegation zone. I do not expect them to stay in that zone. But the fact that it's still... You know, such a dramatic difference, and it just, just just goes to show you that Ronaldo makes 
the world of a difference on your team. No matter how many players of that course. you have, no matter what you, what his supporting system is, if you don't have Ronaldo or Ronaldo leaves your team, you're going to struggle. We've seen that with United mm-hmm. when he left. You know, he when he left to Real Madrid. You've seen that with Real Madrid themselves when he left to Juventus, and now we're seeing it with Juventus now that he's going back to United or that he's gone back to United. Um, relatively easy game for Juve though. You know, it was a very nice change of pace than what we've seen so far in the Serie A. They ended up winning comfortably three to nothing. Uh, we had goals from Dybala and Alvaro Morata. Um, Dybala really, really good. You know, low-driven shot. I believe he was into the right corner of the net. And Morata, you know, finishing off the game with a very, very nice chip. You know, he just, you know, he has these games where he looks like he's one of the premier strikers of the world. And, you know, it was just a relatively easy game for Juve. And it was kind of expected. Malmo isn't really a club. You know, they have nothing to write home about. But, you know, it is what it is. The only way I know Malmo, honestly, is that I know it's a club that Zlatan Ibrahimovic started his career at, and I know they have, like, a statue Yeah, there. that is the only fact that I know about that squad. Nothing else. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Yeah, I really have no idea either. Um, all right, I think that was good coverage of the Champions League, but we're going to have to get to the part that I was dreading and looking forward to at the same time because I do have a lot to get off my chest. But here's what's going to happen, bro. I'm going to let you go first. You can, you know, you can glow. You can party. You can have it, any, do anything you want. Just get it over with. And then I'll kind of just chime in with the, the sob story and whenever you're done. So floor is yours, man. All right. Um, I'm not going to gloat. I'm not going to do anything like that. Because, I mean, if I was going to gloat, I would have gloated during the game where it was the semifinal and Barcelona lost 8-2, I believe. It was, yeah, 8-2. I didn't gloat then. I'm not going to gloat now. It just, it is what it is. It's, I mean, squad quality, ownership. Hell of a difference between both teams. No disrespect to your team, of course. But, you know, easy win for Bayern. I hate to say it, but it was. It was an easy win for Bayern Munich. Uh, Barcelona, mm-hmm. honestly, they just had no chance. They had no shot. It just, you know, it looked like it was it was Munich's game from early on. You know, Muller started off the scoring, and Lewandowski uh, ended up scoring twice. And honestly, if we're talking about the goals themselves, they weren't all that impressive. But the last goal was just filthy. And I, I'm not trying to gloat whatsoever, but just just a testament to how fantastic Lewandowski is. You know, oh, no, 30, great goal, for sure. Great goal. 33, 34 years old. And, and for him to, you know, have that kind of positioning, I know it was basically considered a quote-unquote tap-in, but just the, the positioning that he had, obviously we saw Douglas Costa running down the wing, I believe it was the right wing, yes, it was the right wing, shooting and hitting the post, coming back to Lewandowski, and you have PK right in front of him, and PK, I don't know what kind of decision-making head, but like when you see a player in front of goal, your first thought should not be, I am going to risk it all and literally just go in for a slide tackle. 
really questionable decision-making there. Lewandowski saw it coming from a mile away. Literally, dude just put the ball right under his foot. Watched PK go by him. Literally just moved to his left. Shot it. Very easy stuff. Ter Stegen obviously was... Or Ter Stegen, he was literally already on the floor uh, from that previous save from Douglas Costa because he thought he was about to go in. He obviously dived for the ball, ended up hitting the post. Going back to Lewandowski. Uh, not, not a lot to really talk about this game. I do want to give some praise to Jamal Musiala, the 18-year-old winger uh, on Bayern Munich. I honestly, at first, I didn't really like this kid. I feel like his decision-making was awful. But he's been getting a lot of minutes under Julian Nagelsmann this season, and I can see the improvement. He is one of the players that definitely have bought into Julian's system. And I really like the way that he's playing right now. I, I definitely think he's a, a pretty important piece for a future under this system. And it's really, really nice to see. Other than that, not really much to go on. You know, I, I, I don't. I'm I'm going to leave this, this next segment for you because I feel like you have a lot on your mind that you want to discuss about the team. Yeah, so let me start off with the formation. So we were playing a 3-1-4-2. But I don't think Barcelona have played anything except a four-three-three in the past like six, seven years. Okay, mm-hmm. and then this guy decides to play a three-one-four-two because he's he's scared. He said something along the lines of, "He knows that you guys have just like firepower in the attack, so he's so he decided to load up the midfield in hopes of like putting putting some people in the back line as well, having some people from the midfield drift back, but." I mean, that clearly didn't do a single thing. So there's that. And there's... Were we even playing with attackers? I know it was a 3-1-4-2, but I didn't see any two people up front because we had no shots the whole game. So um, I don't even think anyone was playing. Memphis Depay was... You couldn't even tell he was playing. Luke De Jong, same thing. I mean, I, I'm trying to find someone that I can like point to and be like, man, this guy had a really good game but honestly i the only people that had good games are the people that came in off the bench and that's one of the things that's really really upsetting me is that you have these guys you brought in people like yusuf demir who people call him the albanian messi and he's very good he's been playing very good when he gets a chance but ronald coleman's just not giving any chances to the players again philip coutinho he's finally back he brought him in coutinho got in space when you let Coutinho do his thing and creates, he creates and he scores goals. He didn't start him. Uh, Pablo Gavi, who's the 18-year-old sensation who never played for Barca B, went straight from La Masia to the first team, which never happens. This guy has amazing touches on the ball. He's, he he moves the defense around. He's almost like Iniesta and Xavi. He didn't play. He, he, he brought him in off the bench. So, And this is kind of like a different but the same Playing players like Jordi Alba the day before he was very sick and he had a very high fever and he played him and then he got hurt. He just couldn't continue. Obviously, that's just not a smart move to make. And players like Sergio Roberto who have not been Barca. This guy, Barcelona has an obsession with prioritizing people like Sergio Roberto because I said in the last episode, he's La Masia. And not only is he La Masia, but he's Cat- He's Catalan. He's, he's from Catalonia. So they're going to they're going to prioritize players like him and just put him on a pedestal when his time is up. His time's been up. He hasn't been Barca 
Barca level or Barca status in a few years, man. Like the, the, these guys don't get the hint. And and before this game, there was there was a quote that came out. Uh, Coleman he had this long interview uh, with this. I think it's like a Dutch like channel or Dutch newspaper or something. Yeah. And he yeah. said a he said a lot of very questionable things. He had th said things like thanks to this thanks to me this club has a future. future. Yeah, I remember reading that. Yeah, that's that was wild. I mean, what kind of future are we talking? We're talking a, a a terrible future. We're talking not possibly not even playing in the Champions League again because of you. Like if we if this keeps up, what I do like though, the only silver lining is Laporta. He is an aggressive owner, and like I said on the past few episodes, you can mess with anything, but you cannot mess with Barcelona. He said it himself. No one's bigger than the club. It could be controversial at times, but he doesn't care. Literally, no one's bigger than Barcelona, and apparently, they have those two have not agreed on a lot, and they've been very and Laporta is very very upset. Um, according to some to some Spanish newspapers, they had a meeting behind closed doors, and Laporta pretty much gave him these next three games in the league, and if he doesn't get it right, he probably will be sacked because. He just doesn't want to tolerate this anymore. He can't tolerate it anymore. And he also preached to Coleman to play these young players to to get them more chances, to get people like to get people like Araujo more chances, to get to give people like um Pablo Gavi, Yusuf Demir, uh Oscar Mengeza, players like that, Alejandro Balde who came in for Jordi Alba who who made some great runs. Don't forget about Puig. He's 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 way too good to be sitting on the bench. Yeah, he's 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 another one that Ronald Coleman just doesn't want to play for for some reason. He just doesn't doesn't care to play him. I God knows why, but it's 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 things like this that that get me very upset about the club because it's like he's not even thinking. And another quote that was very very telling at what I saw was Coleman after losing. This is a comparison between Coleman and Julian Nagelsmann after losing. Coleman after losing. Quote, we lost 3-0. I'm disappointed, but if you're realistic, this can happen. Our options are limited. This is the best we can offer. Nagelsmann after winning. We could have scored more goals. We will improve with the players. So that's the difference between a coach that's pretty much given up and just doesn't care anymore, doesn't care to do well, and then a coach that's rising and wants to keep doing well and wants to see his team prosper and win. So I feel like just that alone is telling enough and we have a lot of issues i mean we're lucky three zero is nothing i mean this is <coughs> sorry and there's no reason to even gloat like you said why would you gloat when you're beating a Barca team like this it's there's no point in gloating it's an easy way oh, exactly. you know so there's really no point in even doing anything special after winning this game because it's just run of the mill for you guys but for us, it's just peeling back more layers of this of these issues that we have on our team, and what's to come. I feel I'm saying this right now. Ronald Coleman will not finish the season as Barcelona manager. I'll be very shocked unless we somehow completely turn it around and we go on like a six seven game winning streak in the Liga, which will be tough because the Liga's gotten better as well. So I think he's going to be out. And I think it's good that he's out. I think we should at least finish the season with like an interim coach, anyone other than him. And then 
once the next season starts, we start and we get more money from, we can somehow just, you know, get more money to pay guys like Antonio Conte who are out of a job right now, who don't have a job, are still sitting at home. So guys like him, he can change the whole team. We saw what he did at Chelsea. This guy was crazy at Chelsea. He, with his tactics, with the players he brought in, he's just a football mind, a soccer mind. We need players like that. We don't need Ronald Koeman, who his experience is coaching the Dutch national team. No offense. Coaching a national team is totally different dynamic than coaching a club, man. I'm sorry. Like, it, it just doesn't, it's not the same. So, and players like Busquets, like, dude, we get it. He's he's a huge part. He's a staple of our club. He's a legend of Barcelona, but he's 33 years old and he has so many miles on him. Just get someone else. You have so many other players in that midfield. So I don't, I just don't get it. And I really hope there's there's changes because changes need to be made. But I, like I said, the silver lining is I trust Laporta with my life. So it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be an easy season, but I think he'll make the necessary changes in due time. That's those are all very good points. Uh, I do agree with you about Laporta. I think he's a very good president. I think he's, you know, he has the best intentions for the club. And as painful it is to see, I definitely agree with you when it comes to him saying that no one's bigger than the club. Because I guarantee you, uh, if Bartomeu was still the owner of this club, he would have done an, almost anything to have Messi resign with this club, especially or you know. You know, especially if it was at the expense of the club. I honestly think that Bartomeu would have voided all the new signings or all the new contracts that they that Barcelona had brought in over the summer in favor of Messi. If it wasn't mm-hmm. for the regulations, stuff like that. I'm I'm positive he would have done something like that. Yeah. And, definitely. and I also agree with you about the Ronald Coleman thing, you know. You know, coaching a national team is definitely not the same when it comes to the club. With the national team, you're talking about players that see each other maybe, what, once every couple months. And then maybe, you know, a month of training before the World Cup. But a club, you know, requires much more commitment. We're talking about week in, week out when it comes to training. We're talking about transfer strategies. We're talking about, you know, who plays, who's in form, who's out of form, who's aging. And these are things that Coleman still has to learn. Uh, you basically said it with, you know, Sergio Busquets. He's a fantastic player. He is a staple of the club. He is a legend, but he's also 33. He's also a player that was under the, you know, you know, he plays Tiki Taka and Tiki Taka, it, it requires a lot of running. It requires a lot of positioning. So he does have a lot of miles on his body and no one's telling Ronald Koeman to sell the guy. But you have a lot of young players more than willing to prove themselves on the bench, and you're not playing them. It's, it's, it's strange. I'm not trying to criticize uh, like anyone, but like it's, it's hard for me to defend him at the moment. You know, those comments that he made to that Dutch uh, journalist talking about things to me, Barcelona have a future. No offense. I don't think it's because of you. I'm pretty sure it's because of Laporta. You know, yeah, and, Laporta's the one with the with the the mastermind that brought all these players in, not you. I mean, exactly. Like, yeah, sure, you have a few Dutch players on your team, and you have that Dutch connection with them. But again, like the Memphis Depay has always wanted to come to Barcelona. It's been a few years since he stated that he's always wanted to play at Barcelona. 
He wanted to play with Messi, of course, but that wasn't an option, obviously. Sergio Aguero, I know everyone basically knows that he came to Barcelona for Messi, but, you know, he still came to Barcelona under Laporta. But if we're going to talk about the Dutch players on the team, other than Depay, who do you have? You have Luke de Jong, okay? He's honestly very subpar. I honestly don't even... I would have rather Barcelona so like, you know, sold or loaned Griezmann to Atletico Madrid for basically for free. Not sure why Luke de Jong was part of this deal. I, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, you already have Martin Braywaith, who is not a bad player whatsoever. I'm not sure what Luke de Jong is doing there. You have Frankie de Jong. Frankie de Jong doesn't really count because he was there before Komen came in. So you make a lot of good points. And and especially, I really do want to emphasize on the point that he doesn't want to play young players. Um, Jordi Alba, not just the fever. He also had stomach problems before that game. And because of that, he tore his hamstring. It is... Very unfortunate to see, and you hope that Jordi Alba can, you know, come back hopefully soon to this team because your options at left back are very scarce. There are they are almost non-existent there, you know. Yeah, I mean it's 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 horrible to see him injured, and Pedri's also injured. He's out for three weeks at least, mm-hmm. so that thins our team thins our team out even more now. Significantly, so significantly, and 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 the thing is. You have the solution right there on your bench, but Coleman doesn't want to play these players. And it's not even just about ownership or, you know, the, the rift between ownership and the coaching staff. It's also the players. Uh, I literally just read a few minutes ago that after, you know, the, the it was during the second Lewandowski goal, Ter Stegen literally yelled to PK, stop throwing yourself so much. You need to defend better. Stay on your feet. You know, these these kind of things you don't always hear about at Barcelona. When you think of Barcelona, you think of amazing chemistry. You think of players that are always happy with each other. You know, when we read that Neymar wanted to, you know, play by himself and, and leave Messi's shadow, we were all surprised and we were all shocked that, you know, how could a Barcelona player be unhappy? You have fantastic chemistry. The coaching staff is usually very, very, very good. They always have a future. They always have a very good core. But at the moment, can you say Barcelona has any of these things? No. Do they have a bright future under the players that are on the bench and not playing? Sure. But they still need to develop. And the only way to develop, you can't develop through training. You have to develop through actual games. You know? Yeah, and that is, it's true. And like you said, when when frustrations like that happen... People start finger pointing, and players start finger pointing at each other when when stuff is going left because that's what losing will do to a team. If a team is not, if there's no continuity on a team when they're faced with hardships like Barcelona is faced with now and losing, the finger pointing starts, and then that's only gonna make our chemistry go down, and in turn make our playing go down, and in turn we're gonna lose more games. So anyway, Coleman's job's on the line in the next three games, as reported by that newspaper. So we'll see what he does. We'll see if he does improve uh, anything at all. We'll see if our team improves at all. Um, but, yeah, man, it's it's a very tough time for, for Barca fans all around the world right now. Do you, um, other than Antonio Conte, 
Who do you think is the perfect guy to take up this role if Coleman does not end up finishing the season? So there's a there's a Barca B coach. Um, I'm not sure of his name, uh, but he's he's supposed to be like a very good coach. I read about him. I used to, I used to read about him um, back in the day. He's been the Barca Barca B coach for a while. I think Sergi something Sergio something. He's um, there's been rumors about him coming in and coaching the team. And he's also, he's already familiar with these young players. Some of them did play on Barca B. So he's already familiar with them. So I think that could be a guy. I think if we can get Luis Enrique back, that would be really nice for us because we did very well um, under him. Obviously, we did have MSN and Iniesta and Xavi and all those guys. But still, you know, he, he we won we won five, five, like, um, five trophies under him. So with him so like i think he would be good for sure but other than that i can't really think of any other coaches that because it takes a specific kind of coach to, to coach barcelona and it's definitely not ronald coleman so someone like the barca b coach that's already familiar with the barca system and you know laporta knows him obviously laporta is familiar with luis enrique so yeah, I think one of those two coaches, if we can get him to leave, Luis Enrique, get him to, to leave this, the Spain job and get him, that would be perfect, honestly. That would be ideal if we can get Antonio Conte. Obviously, my first choice is Antonio Conte, if we can get him. No, he's a, he's a fantastic uh, choice. By the way, I looked that up. Uh, his name is Sergi Barjuan, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, him. yep. Uh, you know, I, I actually, this is the first that I'm hearing of him. I do know that Barca B is a team that existed, obviously. I just didn't know that the coach was making stride with that team. Uh, actually, that move makes a lot of sense. That That is a very, very good take. Uh, obviously, being with the Barca B team, he's very familiar with the system. And I'm sure that Barca B as a team are very successful. Uh, it's unfortunate that they can't be promoted, obviously, to La Liga because, obviously, the main parent club is in that, you know, division. So mm -hmm. they can't technically be promoted. But they haven't been relegated in a very long time. So it just goes to show that he's doing a very good job over there. And someone being familiar with the system, someone being familiar with the, obviously, the ownership, the coaching staff, things like that. You know, these are all things that help. Uh, it would be awful to see him go from that Barca B team. Uh, but again, I'm sure that they're going to manage. But no, I honestly, uh, that's very convincing. I honestly don't think that there would be a better guy for the job than Sergi. Even more than Antonio Conte. Because Antonio Conte, if uh, you remember, during the summer, he was discussing with Daniel Levi to, you know, event, you know, potentially be the coach of Tottenham. And he ended up rejecting the job only because he was unsure of Harry Kane's transfer, you know, negotiations going on, things like that. And he had a lot of differences when it comes to, you know, how he wants to spend the money or how he wants to rebuild the team. It kind of felt like he was giving off a vibe of, you know, I'd like a team that is more equipped to contend for titles. And I'm not sure if he has that with Barcelona. So I feel like hiring Sergi would be a much better choice than Antonio Conte. Antonio Conte is a very, very good coach. Don't get me wrong. Like you said, what he did with Chelsea was insane. Obviously, with the help of the, the owner, Ibrahimovic, 
but again, you know, money does not buy you everything. We've we see that at the moment with PSG, and Sergi is is very familiar with the system. I cannot stress that enough. I feel like he's the perfect guy going forward if Ronald Koeman does not end up finishing the season. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's another successful episode in the books. Uh, we covered everything. I think we we went a little over our time today, but it's okay because there was a lot of things we had to get to. We wanted to make sure you guys had the best analysis and coverage of all those games in case you didn't get to see it. So that's it for this episode. Uh, you guys want to follow us on Twitter at the Deep End PD and same handle on Instagram as well. We'll be posting updates and uh, kind of a rundown of the show each week. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add? No. I just wanted to to uh, mention that we're going to be starting a weekly Q&A session on our Instagram page. You can find us at the Deep End Pod C, that is the Deep End P-O-D-C. We're going to be hosting a Q&A session on, you know, things that you'd like us to talk about or maybe a question about who your best transfer was this summer. You know, if you'd like to, you know, partake or participate in that, you could always just follow us on our Instagram page. We're always welcome to comments and things that you guys want us to talk about. Other than that, no, there's not much I could talk about. I feel like this was a very jam-packed episode. And yeah, we went over a little bit on time. But again, lots to go through. Lots to go through. Sure. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week. Take it easy.